Matthew 21, verse 1, and it says this. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. I was considering preaching this out of the King James Version, uh, but King Jimmy, he cussed, and he didn't call it a donkey. He called it something else, so I'm just going to stick with the new King James. <laughs> oh, you're such a donkey. Anyway, verse 6 says this. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. That's where we got the whole palm branch for Easter. They took palm branches and they laid it at the feet of Jesus as he rode over on a donkey. Verse 9, then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And we had come into Jerusalem. All this city was moved saying, who is this? If you read a little bit further, it goes on to say that they thought and they said, this is one of the great prophets. Hey, can I pray for you before we jump in? Father God, we're grateful. God, that your favor, God, is upon us, upon our families, upon our children's children's children. Dear God, we will see a victory as a result of this, God, because it's not up to us. It's not up to our government. It's not up to our doctors. It's not up to our businesses, God. The victory belongs to you, and we know that you are working it out for our good in this moment. So, God, we're going to celebrate you. We're going to thank you, and we're going to praise you even before we see the victory, for we know that it's all ready done. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody say amen, amen, and amen. So when it comes to wrestling, boxing, uh, what else? UFC, UFC, all, all the different fighting stuff, a person's entrance, the fighter's entrance, is like the biggest thing of all. Now, I wouldn't know much about this uh, because I was homeschooled, which has nothing to do with anything, but uh, my mom didn't like violence. I grew up with one of those moms that if you got like a squirt gun for your birthday, the squirt gun was going in the trash. We don't believe in guns. We don't believe in violence and all that other good stuff. So we weren't allowed to watch wrestling. Did you watch wrestling growing up? You did. You see, you had a lot more fun than I did. Yeah, it's probably so violent. But... um. <laughs> I didn't get to watch wrestling. I didn't watch boxing at all. And it's so funny. And this, I'll, I'll get to the story in a second. But I think this is like the issue of having like big families because I'm one of five. So when I, I was young, my parents wouldn't let me watch anything fighting. And by the time I'm like 16, my mom is sitting on the couch watching UFC with us and like, you know, covering her eyes and all that. I think all the kids just broke her down. And she's just like, it doesn't even matter anymore. But in all those different fighting atmospheres, the entrance is the big deal. Like, I feel like sometimes these fighters spend more time choreographing their entrance than they actually spend fighting or preparing for the fight. I saw one fight that was over in, like, the first 20 seconds. The guy's entrance was longer than he actually lasted in the ring. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, but they walk in, and, I mean, they have these gold robes, and there's fur everywhere, and lights and smoke and lasers and fire machines and all this other kind of stuff because the whole point of the entrance is to intimidate your performer or, or your opponent. I, I, I didn't prepare for this. I was thinking, what would be my, my uh, entrance song? 
<laughs> what would be my, I'll tell you right now, it would not be a Christian song. That's not good at all. That's going to give it to him. Going to, okay, no, that, that's something. But I don't know what my entrance song is going to be. But the entrance was the, was, was the big deal. Now, this may be a stretch, but I feel like maybe that kind of derived from the entrance of a king into a town. Like if it, back in history when a king was coming in, it would be, I mean, this parade where there would be hundreds of troops that are marching before the king and there'd be flags and there's trumpets and all this other kind of stuff, especially if he was going into a city that he had conquered. It was this mindset of here comes the king, the one who's in authority, the one who's powerful, the one that is, is taking control. The entrance was just this big deal. In this passage that, that we read, Israel found themselves in a situation again when they were in slavery to the Roman Empire. They had been conquered. They were under the control and the authority of another empire, and they were waiting for their king. They were waiting for their victor, for their warrior to come in and to put them back in their rightful position as victors instead of victims. And then here comes Jesus on a donkey riding into the city of David. They were excited about Jesus because they had heard a lot about Jesus. Jesus was a healer. Jesus unopened up the scriptures in a way that none of the rabbis had ever done. They had heard amazing stories about Jesus. They were excited about Jesus. They just didn't see him as their king. Because the king that they were expecting was coming on a horse. He wasn't coming on a donkey. The king that they were expecting was coming with armor and with a sword and, and, and with an army. He wasn't coming in a rabbi's clothes saying, peace be unto you. They were looking for the king that was saying, oh, we about to turn up. War be unto you. I'm taking over. Here's my thought. As we sit around waiting for God to change a situation, maybe it's this pandemic that we've been dealing with over the last few weeks. Maybe it's not anything to do with the pandemic. Maybe it's a financial crisis or a health crisis or, or a crisis in, in your relationships or relationship with a child or whatever it may be. Could it be that we're waiting for Jesus to ride in and to change our situation? And he already has. He just didn't make the entrance that we were expecting. Here is Israel waiting for their king to ride in. Their king rode in, and I dare say they missed him. They celebrated him. Don't get me wrong. They celebrated him. But when they said, who is this? The answer was, he's one of the prophets. He, he's just another great guy. I think they missed the entrance of everything that they were expecting because it didn't look the way they thought it was. You see, when Jesus steps into a situation, he may not step in the way that we want him to. He may not even step in the way that we think he will. And if we're not careful, we can miss God in the midst of a storm. The Bible says this in Psalm 20 verse, 24, verse 7. It says this, lift up your heads, O ye gates. I only know this in the King James. And be lifted up, ye everlasting door, and the king of glory shall come in. Watch this. Who is the king of glory? the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battles. You guys have heard that verse before. It's, it's, it's quoted in many songs and all this, but, but look at it one more time. It says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. We are the gates. The Bible talks about a gate is, is an image of, of a person. If you remember when they were rebuilding the, the, the walls around Jerusalem, each family built a different gate. A gate represents a person. It says, lift up your head, O ye gates. Can I tell you what I think it's saying? Hey, don't miss the king. 
your head is down because he's walking by and you didn't even notice him because he doesn't look the way you thought he would. God is changing your situation and you're still overcome with fear because the change doesn't look the way you It said, lift up your head, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting door. Why? Because Jesus is stepping into your situation right now. And then look what it says. Who is the king of glory? Almost as if, is this what you're talking about? Because this is not what I was expecting. Listen, he may not come the way you expect him to come. But Jesus is stepping into your situation right now. And if we're not careful, we can miss him. So what I want to do, I just want to give you just three quick thoughts that I pulled out from this passage of, of what we should be looking for. And, and honestly, what Jesus is looking for, and I'm telling you, if we learn to look at our situation this way, we will see that not only has he never left us, never forsake us, not only is he working on that situation for our good in this moment, but he never walked away for one second. The first thing that I need to be looking for is this, is what Jesus was looking for. Jesus was looking for donkeys, not horses. The first thing Jesus was looking for as he was coming into the city of David was he said, go find me a donkey. Now, now your typical king, he would ride in on a horse. And it wouldn't just be any horse. It would be the most valuable, the most majestic, the most excellent horse that they can find. Oftentimes, the king would ride on a white horse or a horse that had a color that was different from everybody else around him so that he stood out, so that his regalia, his authority, his royalty was evident. It was evident the way that that horse would come prancing in, that whoever sat on that horse was in charge. Jesus said, I don't want a horse. I want a donkey. Kings didn't ride on donkeys. Servants ran on donkeys. Donkeys were, 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 were beasts of labor where, where the whole point of a donkey was that they could hold a lot of weight and you could just put a whole bunch of stuff on it. Oftentimes, they wouldn't even ride a donkey. They would weigh it down with all the burdens. Come on now. And a person would walk in front of that donkey and drag it. And, and, and could it be that we're missing Jesus because we're expecting King Jesus to step in? We're expecting the victor to come in and snatch our situation by its neck and to turn it around. And he said, no, no, no. Before you know me as King Jesus, you have to know me as serving Jesus. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it says this. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Jesus is a king. He is a victor. But before he steps into our situation as the victor, he first steps into our situation as the servant, as the serving king. Here's why that's difficult for us. Because what we want Jesus to do, late in the midnight hour, <laughs> that's not funny. We want God to change our situation. God, I need you to heal my body, get me a job, bring this breakthrough, turn this COVID-19 around. I need you to do this, 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 and that. And God says, I want to do that, but before I can fix your situation, I want to serve you. Well, that's, that's not a bad thing. The, the idea that Jesus wants to serve me, that, that sounds like a good deal. You can serve me by fixing this. No, no, no. In order to allow Jesus to serve you, you have to first admit that you need serving. The Bible says this in John chapter 13, verse 6, it says this, when he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, 
you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Here's what Peter said. Jesus, I can't let you serve me. You see, Peter had an earthly mindset. Jesus, you're the king. You're the one that's going to bring us victory. You're the one that's going to be in control. Why are you? The Bible says that he took a cloth and, and he put it around his waist, that he took off his regalia, and he got on his hands. I was thinking about whose feet am I going to touch, and I decided no one's. So uh, he began to wash their feet, and Peter said, no, 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 Jesus, I can't let you wash my feet. I feel like the heart of Peter is the heart of a lot of us. No, no, Jesus, I just need you to fix my husband. I just need you to fix my wife. I just need you to fix my business, fix my money. I just need you to fix the situation. And here's what Jesus said. He said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. In other words, Jesus said, I can fix your situation, but before I fix your situation, I want to fix you. I, I like Peter's response. Peter, Peter was one of those extreme, I mean, one second he's cussing, one second he's calling fire down from heaven. Like, you just know, whatever you get out of Peter, it's going to be 100. I like, I like Peter. Peter. Peter, you can never call Peter lukewarm. He was just, so here's what Peter said. He said, no, no, don't touch me. Don't touch me. You're the king. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Peter said, fine, well, wash my whole body. <laughs> he went from don't touch me to scrub. I think I could just see Peter starting to take his clothes and just like, whoa, 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 Peter, chill out. This is going to make the Bible. Put that back on. And here's what Jesus said. He said, I don't need to wash all of you. That's what the cross is for. I just need to wash your feet. Before I'm going to change your situation, Jesus wants to wash your feet. What do my feet represent? My feet represents everything I've been through. I've walked through a lot of disappointment, a lot of setback, a lot of abuse, a lot of pride, a lot of victories, a lot of backs. I've walked, I've gone through a lot. It was a custom in that time when people would come into a house that there would be a servant at the front door that had a basin and a towel and they would wash the feet of the visitor to wash off all the dust that they had walked through on the way through this door. Here's what I've found. Before Jesus wants to change my situation, he wants to change me. Before he wants to turn it around, he wants to make a turn in my heart. Stephen, can I wash off all the bitterness, all the unforgiveness, all the insecurity, all the pride? Can I, can I wash you before I change the situation? Here's what I've realized, that sometimes Jesus has already stepped in the situation. But he didn't step in to change the situation. He stepped in to change me. I remember in, in the third year of the church, we, we, we had kind of, we had a, 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 a fun start. I was 24 when I launched the churches, and probably you heard that story a million times. It was probably about 50 or so people. And, and in that first year, we went from 150 people to 150 people. I mean, we had seen, it, it, it was revival. I mean, we were excited. We were pumped. And then the next year, another 100 people out of the church. It was 250. The next year, another 100 people out of the church. It was 350 people. And I mean, it was just unbelievable. We were excited. And, and I can't take credit for it. There were so many people that were serving and making it happen. But I remember when we hit about that 350 people, the church just stalled out. We could not reach another person, I hate this term, to save our lives. 
Like, I mean, it, it, it was just like, I mean, Ichabod. The glory had departed. <laughs> there was sin in the camp. Something happened. And you got to understand my personality. I am the type of guy, if there was a brick wall, the only purpose it was there is for me to run through it. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't need a door. I'm just going to go right through it. So I'm literally banging my head against this brick wall as I was there. She's like, Jesus, either put him out of his misery or open this door because I can't live with this man anymore. But, I mean, it was just like it didn't matter what we did. We could not reach any more people. And when I tell you it didn't matter what we did, we did everything. We, we launched another campus in Laurel. I was driving in between two campuses. Like, maybe if we had another location, we would grow more. You know what happened? The church just split into those two locations, and they went to two different ones, but it did not grow one person. This went on for two years. Somebody, you're going to lose respect for your pastor. I'm not as bright as you thought I was. <laughs> About 18 months in, I realized the issue wasn't the church, it wasn't our systems, it wasn't our leaders, it was me. I'm praying, God, change the church. And God says, no, 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 give me access to your heart. Because there's certain things that I want to change in you before I can change things around you. And we're so consumed and so focused on God changing our circumstance. And God is right there. He said, oh, don't worry. I made the world in seven days. Do you think COVID-19 is an issue for me? I transformed the entire universe. Do you think I can't heal your body or provide it? He said, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about you. I, I had a real strong thought that I'm going to say, obviously, but it, it's strong. I'm wondering if America wants God or they just want God to stop this. Because God is after our heart and sometimes we're just after his hand. And we know and he knows that as soon as he moves in that situation, we're going to put him right back on the shelf where he was before we had a problem until we need something else. And God says, no, no, no. If something doesn't change in you, there's going to be something else that dominates your life the way that this current crisis is. He, he, he's looking for donkeys before. The second thing he's looking for is he's looking for robes, not rituals. So when a king came into a city, I mean, it's kind of like it is today. Whenever we have an official from another country come in, I mean, there are banquets and there's concerts and they'll bring out the military band and they'll have a, a national gift. And it's, I mean, it's pomp and circumstance because the prime minister of whatever country or the king or whatever it may be. And it was the same thing back then. When a king came into town, I mean, it was, they, there were days and days of parties and celebrations to honor this king. When when Jesus came in, they didn't throw parties and had ceremonies. They threw coats and palm branches. Jesus comes in and it says they took off their coats and they put it on the donkey for him to ride on. And then they took it off and they put it on the floor for him. He rode in. Jesus enters on our coats, not on our rituals. Now, now some theologians believe that, that they didn't actually take their coats off. They took off their prayer shawls. If you've ever seen in the Jewish custom when they would pray, they would have these prayer shawls that had tassels on the four different corners that reminded them of scriptures, and they would pray under this shawl unto God. And theologians believe that when they took off that prayer shawl and they put it before Jesus, what they were saying is, everything that I've invested my life into, I lay before you right now. I had a friend uh, who, who was in medical school, 
and uh, he had his white coat ceremony. You ever seen that? They're, they're in medical school, and, and it's their ceremony. I've never had the privilege of putting on a white coat before. Uh, I got the little tassel. I got to flip it to the other side. That's all I had. But, but you would go in, and you go in in your normal clothes, and they would confer, and they would speak and all that, and then you would have your white coat that would represent that you're now on your path to be a doctor or a therapist or some other recognized area in the medical world, and the, they would put that white coat on, and what it would represent is it would represent your authority in that field. It, it, it literally was your vocation. Now, I'm not a doctor. If you're a doctor, you're probably saying this white coat represents about eight years of my life that I gave to studying and to learning and to sweating, and they should give me a, a platinum coat, not a white. I bet if you knew what I've been through for this coat. Well, it was the same thing back then. Their coat didn't just represent a coat. It represented what they had given their life to. A priest would have one type of code, a judge would have another type of code, a, a, a government official or whatever. Maybe what they were saying is, we are laying down everything that we have before you. When, it th when we think about God, we think God wants religious rituals. We think God wants our Sunday church attendance. I bet that's thrown out the window. <laughs> Y'all backsliders, y'all ain't been to church in like three weeks. <laughs> Pastor, I'm having church. Anyway. <laughs> We're excited to give God our praise. We're excited to give God our worship. We're excited to give God our, our, our lip service. And it's not that those things are bad, but those things void of our life means nothing. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Another translation said, in light of what God did, because he gave his life so that we could live. It says this, that you present your bodies, that you would lay your life down, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. God will change your situation when you give the outcome of that situation to God. God, I need you to change my finances. God says, I need you to give me your life. What, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> God, I need you to change my husband. I'll change your husband when you give me your marriage. God, I need a breakthrough in my business. I'll give you a breakthrough in your business when you give me your business. You see, we want to leave God on Sunday, pull him off the shelf when we need him to fix something, and put him back on the shelf until we need him next. God says, I'm not a sit-on-the-shelf God. I'm not a Sunday God. I'm not a ritual God. I am a give-me-your-life-so-that-I-can-maximize-it God. My, my son, Roman, um, my, my wife would actually agree with this one. Out of every Chandler in our home, he is the crankiest morning person on planet Earth. Roman is, he's going on two, it'll be two in, in two weeks. I'm a grown dog on man. She's a grown dog on woman. And we stand outside of his room saying, you go in. No, you go in. No, it's your turn. I went in yesterday. No, you go in. And he's just sitting there. I mean, that little midget is angry. <laughs> Does it speak? We walk in his room and we try. Good morning, Roman. Hey, Roro. Hey, buddy. Milk. <laughs> he doesn't say good morning. He, I mean, I'm trying to be like, you know, trying to raise him. I'm the man, right? So I, no, 
I'm the man, but he runs the house. So I do have his milk, but I won't give it to him until he says thank you. So I'll hold it, and he'll hold it, and I'll hold it. Take two. And then I'll let it go. Now, on every random occasion, he'll give him his milk, and, and I'll put the cover on upside down or whatever it may be. And if you know the bottle, you'll under, it is possible to screw it on upside down. Don't judge me. But anyway, I'll put it on upside down, and he could put it in his mouth, but no milk will come in because it's clogged. So he's like, Daddy, 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 fix it, Daddy, fix it, Daddy, fix it. It's not working. I mean, he's just, he was angry already. <laughs> but now that his milk isn't flowing the way he wants it to flow, he's on the other type of ticked off. And I'll say, okay, I'll fix it. Give it to me. And he won't let it go. And I'm like, give it to me. He's like, Daddy, fix it. And I'm like, Roman, give it to me. And he's, he, he, he's afraid that if he gives it to me, he won't get it back. But he wants me to fix it. He can't use it in the state that it's in, but he still doesn't want to let it go because he's fearful that he won't get it back. So he prefers to hold on to something that is serving him no purpose than to give it to his father so that he could fix it. Hmm. Father God, fix my marriage. Let it go. No, because I'm afraid if I let it go and give it to you and do marriage your way, you're going to make me lay my life down for her. I don't want to do that. God, God, fix my marriage. Yes, I will let it go. Don't worry, I'm an equal opportunity offender. No, I don't want to let it go because if I do, I'm afraid you're going to make me submit to him. I don't want to do that. I, I just want you to fix my problem. God says, I've stepped in, but I'm waiting for your robe, not your ritual. I'm waiting for you to say, God, I'm done controlling the outcome of this. God, I'm going to let it turn out any way you want it to turn out. God, I give you this. God, I need a breakthrough in my finances. Great. Give me control of all of your finances. God, God, I tithe. I give the first 10%. You have control. No, you've given me 10%. I want today to dictate 100%. Ooh. God, I need you to heal my child. Okay, great. Give me the future of your child. Stop telling me what your child's career is going to be and what their life is going to be and what you just give. Just, and it's, it's almost like Roman, fix it, daddy. And daddy's like, okay, I'll get it when you let it go. God is in your situation, but he's waiting for you to lay your cloak down and say, God, I'm going to give you the authority to dictate the future of this situation, not just fix it the way that I want you to fix it. He, he's looking for donkeys, not horses. He's looking for robes, not rituals. And the last thing is this. He's looking for faith, not force. When, when a king rode into a city, he would always have soldiers all around him. I mean hundreds of them. And they'd march in front of them and they'd march behind them. It was, you know, we talk about flexing nowadays. You ain't never seen a flex. (laughs) So you've seen that king ride in there. And I mean, there are centurions everywhere. And there's gold crowns and they're glistening. And and there's a very clear message. Try me. (laughs) I I wish you would try something. (laughs) Just, 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 I I ain't cut nobody's head off in like three weeks. Just try something. (laughs) There was a show of force when a king came in. When Jesus rode in, he was followed by a bunch of fishermen, a tax collector, some thieves, and some uh, questionable women. And they would take these palm branches. That was supposed to be funny. Uh, (laughs) It is funny. I'm just not sure if I'm allowed to laugh. 
they would take these palm branches and they would lay them at the feet of Jesus. Now, that, that was a ritual in that day of when a king came back from war, victorious. They would take palm branches, they would lay it before the king, and it was a sign of the victory is already won. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem and they laid those palm branches before him, he had not yet gone to the cross. He had not won the victory over sin, hell, and the grave. He had not changed their situation, but yet they were declaring him the victor before anything ever happened. I just think without even knowing it, those people were operating in faith, knowing that he was the lamb that was slain before the beginning of time. Here's what happened. They were declaring the victory before they saw the victory. That's what Jesus rides in on. People who operate in victory, even when their physical situation hasn't changed yet. God is waiting for us to operate in faith, not in force. What, what, what does it look like to operate in force? It looks like I'm going to pray and then I'm going to kick the door in. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to make it happen. God, move this. God, change this. God, do this. And then I'm trying to make it happen in my own strength. Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. It says this, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. I like this verse. Any, you, you can tell. Um, um, maybe it's all those years of not watching wrestling. i got to make up for lost time. If I wasn't a pastor, I wouldn't be a fighter because I'm too small. But I'd be something violent. <laughs> I love it. It says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. This is Ephesians 6 where it talks about the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of, of the spirit, the helmet of salvation, the belt plate, plate of truth, and all this other kind of stuff. And I think about armor, and I'm like, let's go. We're about to turn up. Here's what Paul said to the church of Ephesians. The only purpose for your armor is to resist the enemy. Your armor isn't to change your husband. Hmm? Your armor is not given to you for victory. Your armor is given to you so that the enemy won't take you out as you stand waiting on the victorious one to bring that victory. I, I feel like Jesus is like, I don't need your help. I don't know if you missed it, but I, I made the whole world without you. I've healed without you. I've delivered without you. I've transformed without you. You need the armor so that the enemy doesn't steal your faith. He doesn't steal your hope. He doesn't steal your trust. He doesn't overcome. Our armor is to fight fear, not to fight the economy. Our armor is to fight fear, not to fight our adversary or some other person or the government or the boss who let us go or the down economy. God says, no, 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 no. I'm the one who's going to do that. The only thing that I need from you, he rides in on the wings of our faith. And I feel like sometimes we pray for peace just to calm ourselves down. And then as soon as we get calm again, it's like, all right, I'm going to go get it done. God says, no, 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 no. Peace is not the only thing that comes in prayer. And understanding that I was never not on the scene. And the second you would act as if it's already done. God, I believe you. God, if you said I'm healed, I'm healed. God, if you said I'm delivered, I'm delivered. God, if you said that you're my provider, I'm my, you know, you're my provider. God, if you said that this is going to end out in my good, God, I'm going to act. I'm going to talk. I'm going to walk. I'm going to act like it's going to end out in my good. If it's faith you want to rise ride in on, God, I'm going to give you my 
telling you, God is on the edge of your situation. And he is ready to turn it around the way that you want him to turn it around. But here's what I've learned when I'm in a situation that I want God to change. I need to stop thinking about what I want out of the situation and start asking God, what do you want out of the situation? God, you want my heart. Here it is. God, you want my future. Here it is. God, you want my faith. Here it is. I'm not just asking you to turn this around the way that I want you to turn this around. God, I'm placing it in your hands, and I'm trusting that you're in control. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. God, that in this moment, you are riding into every home, every life, every sickness, every financial lack, every every business that's on the edge, every marriage, You're not sitting back and watching, God. You're stepping in. God, in this moment, we give you our hearts. We give you our lives. God, we give you our faith. Right where you're sitting, whether you're in your living room or in your car or in the kitchen or whatever, can you just pause for a moment? Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to to make this real for you. Maybe you've been giving God your worship, but you haven't given him control. Maybe you've asked him to change the situation, but you haven't given him your heart. Maybe you're trying to do it in your own strength and you haven't given him your faith. I'm telling you in this moment, whether, whether this is your first time watching, whether you're a member at Destiny Church, I'm telling you, God is asking, will you give me everything? God, I'm afraid. Yeah, I know, but will you give me everything? God, I don't know what it's going to look like. I know, but will you give me everything? Because I'm promising you. It's going to be above and beyond anything that you could ever ask, think, or imagine. Right where you are, if you say, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready to give God everything. Maybe you're not a follower of God and you've never made this decision before. Maybe you consider yourself a Christian, but you're still controlling different areas of your life, but you are ready to give him everything. Finally tired, finally broken down, finally ready to surrender. Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, it's gonna be so simple. I give you everything. I give you my heart. Make me new. I give, me my, give, me, give you my life. Take control. God, I give you my faith. I'm trusting in you and not in my own ability. Thank you for going to the cross 